All right. Well, it's good to see you guys. If you want to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12, uh, I'm going to be focusing on verses 3 through 8 today. I'm going to jump right into it and uh, make, a, make up a little bit of time, make sure we uh, get out at an appropriate time. But uh, if you've been with us tracking along in this series, uh, and you were with us last week, we talked a lot about um, therefore being in light of the first 11 chapters of Romans. Um, this is what it means, and really this calling to lay down your life as a living sacrifice in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he goes here in chapter 12. Paul is going to be saying, therefore, church, in light of everything we've talked about for 11 chapters now uh, in this letter to the church here in Rome, in light of everything we've talked about, about the incredible nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything that he's done for us in Christ. In light of all of these different things, he's going to say, uh, therefore, lay down your life, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Despite the fact that there is none who are righteous, in light of all of these things, in light of the fact that the, the righteousness of God is still available to you and to me through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. Again, despite the fact that there's none of us who are righteous, not even one person. This is his argument all throughout this letter right here. Despite the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Despite the fact that in chapter one, every single one of us Every one of us and all of humanity, we've suppressed the truth about God. We've elevated ourselves. We've chosen to worship a thousand other little G gods instead. In light of all of these things and despite the fact that we've done all these things, God offers us his righteousness and it's available to you and to me through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. This is the argument that he makes in light of the fact that in chapter 5, like we now have peace with God. Because he's, what, he, what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Um, in light of the fact that chapter 6 and 7, we've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. This is what he's been arguing. This is what he's been talking about. Like we no longer have to live as slaves of sin, he talks about in chapter 6. In light of the fact that in chapter 8, like there's no more condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. In light of the fact that, the, that our God is so sovereign, he's able to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose at the end of chapter 8. In light of the fact that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord also at the end of chapter 8. In light of the fact that to him and through him and for him are all things, Paul says, therefore, at the beginning of this chapter, in light of all of these realities, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing unto him. And so whereas last week we were honoring mothers and we were talking about the fact that we should lay down our lives as a living sacrifice back to him, from here on out in this chapter, he's going to be talking a little bit more specifically about how that plays out and how we go about laying down our lives as a living sacrifice to him. Very, very specifically, this passage in this section that we're going to look at today is going to deal with some of the different difficulties that we have um, even today when it comes to really gathering together again as a church body. And this is going to be some of the implications that we're going to talk about. It's going to be questions and things like, okay, so why shouldn't I just stay in bed this morning and just tune in only online for the entirety of here and all? Why should I ever come back to the physical gathering of the church body? Like, why should I become a member of a local church? Like, why should I be engaged here beyond just consuming, beyond just taking things in and things of that nature? A little while ago, there was a book back in the early 2000s called I Love Jesus, But I Hate the Church. I don't know if you've ever heard that or you've heard any of this language talked about a lot today, but it's this idea that, hey, I love God still. I love Jesus. I just don't like the Christians. I don't like the church. I don't like this gathering. I don't like the, uh, the, the, the formalization of worship or anything like that. And so this passage we're going to look at today is going to deal with some of those difficulties and some of those things that we may think that may have crept into our 
belief system a little bit, and he's going to expose it, and he's going to bring that out into how we go about laying down our lives as a living sacrifice to him. So again, Romans chapter 12, I'm going to focus on 3 through 8. I want to bring us back into verse 1 to give us a little bit of context here. But here's what he says from here on out. He says, again, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. In other words, all the mercies we talked about in the first 11 chapters. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you can discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, for by the grace that was given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. I don't know if you noticed this, but a couple times um, as he makes this transition from, hey, here's all the theology, here's all the things that we've learned and understood about God and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, uh, laying down your life as a living sacrifice, uh, he immediately goes two different times to how we think about things. This is what he says, don't be conformed to the world in verse 2, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. And he's dealing with, he's saying, hey, before you offer your body as a living sacrifice and before you go and you have all these implications of what to do with the beauties of the gospel right here, like before you get to the doing, there's got to be a transformation taking place in your mind. And so two different times he deals with the whole thinking process right here. He says, I want to say to you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Right? Instead, think with sober judgment. In other words, think accurately about yourself in light of the truth of the gospel. Don't think pridefully. Don't think with arrogance. Don't think so highly of yourself that you're never going to come to a point in time where you actually lay down your life as a sacrifice towards Jesus in service towards one another. Like, don't ever get to that point where you're so high and mighty. There's nothing else for you to grow in. There's nothing else for you to do. Like, this is what he's talking about right here. A few months back, we were talking about in chapter 3 how baptism is a really beautiful illustration of really two tendencies we find even among Christians. But we, we identify either with the death and burial of Christ as we go into the water, uh, or we identify more with the resurrection power of God and all the blessings and the different favor, uh, favor, not favoritism, but the things that he's given to us, the different blessings that he's given to us in Jesus Christ. And so a lot of us, we look at baptism and we can say, you know what, I identify with the mourning, the death to self, if you will, the burial in Christ. And these are people that a lot of times, like we're really attuned with the brokenness and the depravity and the sadness of the world in which we live in. And so you can see, hey, there's a lot of, like, we'll sit in a lot of that pain. Others are sitting there going, like, I don't want anything to do with the brokenness. I don't want anything to do with that. Like, I want to talk about the blessings. I want to talk about the new life. I want to talk about this. And what he's saying is, don't favor one over the other. Think about yourself in light of the entirety of the gospel. Like, don't forget about the, 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 your daily need for his grace. Like, don't be so full of the victory that he's given to you that it turns into a pride where you think it's all about you, or you accomplish all these things, or something like that. Like, don't, be, don't, don't allow it to turn into pride where all of a sudden you forget about the seriousness of your sin and your daily need for his grace. I don't know if you remember the question that he asked in chapter 3. He asked the question, he says, where is the boasting for the believer who understands the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, there is no boasting if you're a believer. There should be no boasting if you're a believer, right? Like, what are we to boast in? Like, I had nothing to offer God. He's holy, I'm depraved, I'm walking away, I rejected him, but God in his infant love came after me. Well, where is the boasting in this message that we sing about every single week? 
Where is the boasting in a thing that says that you don't, you've been justified by faith apart from works of the law? In other words, despite the fact that we've always broken it, we never get it right, we can never ever get it right, and you may be better off than somebody else is in particular things, despite any of those things, like you've been declared righteous simply as, by your faith and simply because of his grace. Where's the boasting in this message, he says? Like when you literally bring nothing to the table except for your need and your soul depends upon the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, where's the right to boast in anything? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, he says. And at the same time, don't be so into the depth of your sin, woe is me, these kinds of things, that you're so depressed or you come out of it, you forget about the victory that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. Don't get so heavy. In other words, don't, don't be like Luther before he came to a realization of the gospel all throughout Romans. I've shared these stories a lot of times. Luther talks about this, Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, talks about a lot of times before he came to awareness of everything that God has given to him in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he would sit there in his room and he would mourn and he would lament over his sin because he thought that it meant that this holy God could have absolutely nothing to do with him. And he would sit there in depression and anxiety constantly because he, didn't, he wasn't aware at that time of the victory that had been won him in Jesus Christ. And what Paul's saying here is, again, think right, not too high and not too low. Otherwise, you'll never be in a position where you're going to be able to lay down your life as a living sacrifice to him. Uh, a little while ago, I was listening to a pastor talk about um, one of his volunteers in the kids' ministry, and he was just talking about how you would never know that, that this guy, that, that this person was like kind of the, their champion of children's ministry over there, was also the most successful CEO and one of the more powerful and wealthy people in the entire city. And he was just talking about it. this guy. He's like, you would never understand. Like, that guy is jumping around on the stage, leading children in worship week after week after week. When he's not back there serving, he's out in the parking lot helping people get parked and waved into this parking lot. Like, you would never understand that this person probably owns more buildings in the city than most other people own. Like, this is a person that thinks rightly about himself in light of the gospel. And as a result of thinking rightly about himself in light of the gospel, he's willing to lay his life down as a living sacrifice back to him. And so this is the foundation that Paul lays here at this point in time here in the text. He's saying that it begins with your thinking, right? It's not just a, hey, jump to action. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? No, no, no. Think well about the things of God. Think well about the grace and mercy that was extended to you and what that actually means, how it simultaneously produces humility inside of you at the same time that it produces confidence. Like, like think well about yourself. Pass this on to your children today as they're longing for identity, they're longing for a sense of self-confidence, right? Think well about that. Help them understand, hey, you could be humble and dependent upon God always and at the same time walk out in profound confidence knowing the power, knowing the beauty, knowing the blessings that God has given to you and what we're going to talk about here in just a little bit, the unique ways that he's contributed you or he's given you to contribute to the body of Christ. Think well about yourself, otherwise you won't lay down your life as a living sacrifice to him. And so he continues here and verse 4, and this is where he gets to the whole body metaphor that we've talked about a lot around here. But here's what he's going to say. He says, for as in one body, we've got many different members. The members don't all have the same function. And so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. Let's use them. And so he gets into this body metaphor that we've talked about a lot around here. And we use all the time here in the church. I love the way C.S. Lewis illustrates this in Chronicles of Narnia. Um, but it's uh, one of our more favorite movies recently, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But 
Um, there's a scene, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, they cross into the wardrobe, they cross into the land of Narnia, and uh, there's a scene where they appear before Father Christmas. I don't know if you guys remember this one or not, but they come before Father Christmas, and Father Christmas essentially comes and, uh, and gives them different gifts. And so Peter comes, and he essentially says, you'll know at the right time, you'll know what these gifts are for. And so he comes, and Peter comes before him, and he gives Peter a sword. And Peter later discovers a little bit later on, you know what, he was meant to lead an army in battle with that sword. And Susan comes along, Susan gets a bow and arrow, and Father Christmas tells her, this is, gonna be, this is to be used in a time of need. Um, Lucy's the same thing. She's given healing ointment, and you see her later on in this battle. She's using this healing ointment to come and to bring healing to people that were wounded in battle. And the point that Lewis is making in this entire thing is that every single one of you, man, woman, and child, every single one of us has been given gifts by God, and they're meant to be used. The reason that he gives these gifts in the first place are to be used are to be there for the edification of others, for the building up of others. This is the metaphor that he uses. Your body, church, is an essential member of Christ's body. That's the metaphor here. It should be offered up as a living sacrifice for the long-term good of that body. This is the whole message. Like your body is an essential member of Christ's body, the metaphor right there. The church, it should be offered up daily as a living sacrifice for the long-term good of his body. That's what he's talking about here. We are one body, many different members. All of those different members have different gifts and different contributions to be making, meaning some of us are going to be arms, some of us legs, some of us brains, some of us noses, some of us eyes, some of us fingers, tendons, muscles, the entire different thing. But all of us essential for the strength of the body. A few weeks back, I found out, I want to illustrate it like this, but a few weeks back, I found out that my older brother, Stu, he's a, he's a pastor in Evansville, Indiana, um, found out that he had COVID about a month ago and didn't realize that. He didn't tell anybody he was living up there, but he went into isolation and did all the stuff and rested and uh, was not around anybody. And the first couple of weeks of it was very uh, mild is how he would describe it. Not really a whole lot of symptoms and he was doing fine and everything else. Week three and a half comes and all of a sudden, his body is shutting down. His nervous system is going crazy, and um, he's exhibiting Parkinson signs now. And he texts the family, and he says, hey, here's what's going on. Like, I'm not, I'm not able to walk in a straight line. I'm not, able to, I'm not able to put toothpaste on my toothbrush and brush my teeth. I was holding a plate in the kitchen, and I, I dropped it, and I'm constantly shaking. I can't walk around down steps without getting real help and really holding on tightly. Like I'm, I'm falling over, like my body's shutting down. I got on a phone call with him the other day, and he was just simply just lamenting. He was sitting there going, like, it's so weird when your body doesn't work as it's supposed to work. And church, like, this is the metaphor that Paul is using right here to describe this gathering that we get to be a part of all the time, which is more than just a Sunday morning gathering. But this is the metaphor that he's using right here. And I think we understand what he's talking about. Like, when one part of the body shuts down, the whole body suffers, right? Like, when one member of the body chooses to stay on the outside, not to be a part, not to contribute as God has gifted you to contribute, it impacts the rest of the body. Like when members who have been gifted by God start believing that we've got nothing to contribute or very, very little or what I am, who I am, what I bring to the table is really not a big deal in the scope of all things. Like this is what happens to the body. It shuts down, it cripples, it is not the fullness of what it was intended to be. So church, let me ask you this question that I've been thinking about for quite a while now. Like what do you think the long-term impact will be if collectively, Christians keep thinking about church as a place you go or an elective that you may or may not want to participate in rather than 
a living and breathing organism that you were made to be a part of and build up. Church, what, like, what do you think culturally the long-term impact is going to be if we never graduate, we never change our mind about the way we think about church, the way that we think about our gathering, the way that we talk about it over here? And we always talk about it as a, it's a place that you go on just a Sunday morning. It's an elective. It's an optional thing that I may or may not want to be a part of. It's a thing I can t- tune into whenever I want to. Right? I can, it, it, it's a thing I come and, you know what, that was a nice nugget for me to take that week. Like, what do you think the long-term ramifications are of that kind of a mentality being the end of how we see our gathering and what we do week after week, day after day after day, and what we call and identify as church? I mean, years ago, Justin Bieber had a very famous quote that I think I've brought in here a couple times, but made a lot of play around pastor circles and things like that. But he was talking about his faith. By the way, I'm very encouraged by things that are going on in his life. But anyway, uh, love the Biebs. But he's talking about his faith. He's talking about um, how he thinks about church and different things like that. And he says this. He says, a lot of people who are religious, I think that they get lost. They go to church just to go to church. And I'm not trying to disrespect them, but for me, like I focus more on praying and personally just talking to God because I kind of understand that I don't have to go to church. And I want to be really fair because he's technically right. None of us have to go to church. It's not a prerequisite for salvation, right? It's not, we, we, Paul's made that abundantly clear in 11 chapters of Romans, like salvation is not because you go to church. It's not by your frequency. It's not by your religiosity. It's not by your strict adherence to the law of God or anything like that. It has nothing to do with those things. Nevertheless, like church, how do we reconcile this kind of a have-to optional mindset with what Paul's talking about in terms of uh, being an essential member of Christ's body right here? How do we reconcile these messages that we hear culturally and that many of us even may, it may trickle into our own thought process and our own thinking right here? How do we reconcile some of the things that we're believing and talking about and thinking about out there with what Paul's saying right here? No, 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 no. You are already a member of a living, breathing organism, whereas you've been given gifts by God to come in and to bring edification and to build up this body. And in doing so, you come together and you represent a greater picture of who God is to a watching world. How do we reconcile these two messages that we're dealing with right here? I've told you before about some of the trends in the church. We've seen this, and they're not new or anything like that, but Barna talks about how it used to be that a committed church member was attending somewhere between 48, 52 weeks out of the year. Some of you remember those days, right? That was considered a committed church member. Today, the bar is lowered. Before COVID, before 2018, uh, those numbers, a committed church member was considered somebody that was regularly attending between 12 and 36 times a year. Now, personally, I think that's a big disparity in between those numbers right there. But that was committed, that was considered a committed church member, somebody who's a faithful member, that kind of a thing. We know the reasons. We talked about it a whole lot. There's things shifting culturally where there's a lot of things, there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of busyness. Uh, right? That's, that's one of the main things that's kind of brought up today. Like our lives are just busier than they ever have been before. And the irony of that whole thing is we all thought by going digital, by be connecting on social media, by being available online, that that was going to simplify our lives and that we would get more simple and that would free us up to be able to invest in the things that really mattered. It hasn't really been the case, has it? Like we've only figured out, hey, we are feeling more anxious, more busy, more worried, more all the things all the time. And we understand, like, the busyness of the world that we live in. Like, we have work, we've got school, we've got uh, sports, and then there's social clubs, and then there's friends, there's entertainment, there's a little bit of me time. There's my R&R, and we get into the weekend, and we sit there and say, you know what, I've got better things to do than come and contribute to a body of people that, you know what, fact of the matter is, I disagree with them on social media. 
I don't like what they posted. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, uh, like, I'm not fully on the same page as some people in this gathering over, like, why would I come and physically gather over here? Like, why not just stay home? This is the question that people are asking today. And so all of that was pre-COVID. But today what we're seeing now is we're only seeing somewhere around 40%. And granted, there's a lot of reasons for that and stuff. But somewhere around only about 40% coming and regathering right here again totally understand the different things that are coming there. I'm just saying, let's get a picture of kind of what's going on here in, in the world today. But the question people are asking is, okay, why should I come back? Why not just stay in bed and tune things in online for the long haul? I mean, it kind of worked. It's convenient, right? It's nice. Like, why not just podcast the greatest preachers in the world? Like, why should I listen to that dude, <laughs> right? Like, why not just like, tune into Bethel week after week, and they're going to nail the worship set, like, every single time, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to jam in my room, and, like, why not do that? Why come into a physical gathering and, and, and be a part physically when I could do the exact same thing out there? Church, like, when we, we, we talk about it. We talk about church like it's, like it's another thing to simply come and to consume, or a thing to listen to on demand on my own time frame. Church, like, meanwhile, what Paul's saying here is, no, 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 individually, we belong to one another. How do we reconcile some of the messages and some of the different things that are coming in to our psyche and to our belief system here with what Paul's saying? He's like, no, no, no. You belong to one another. The people that you disagree with and stuff that you're sitting in, in rows with and stuff around you, maybe even in your small group, like, like uh, there is a sense where God has given you into this time, into this place, into this community over here, and you belong to one another. I, I, in other words, like the expressive individualism we talked about last week, it's not even close to what he's talking about right here. Like there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of, hey, community here that you were brought into in this individualistic mindset, this me-centered mindset of whatever I'm going to come and take, 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 take. It has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about right here. How do we reconcile some of these things? I mean, Hebrews is going to say, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near. In other words, like he's saying, like we were made for one another. We were made for one another. Like this is a context in which he's put you into the world. It wasn't just as an individual. It wasn't just as a, a, a it wasn't just you alone. We don't survive on an island. Like, no, no, no. You were made to belong to one another for one another. We were made to love one another. Hebrews says to stimulate one another. Right? And he said, this is what you were made to do, to serve one another, to challenge one another, to encourage one another, to serve the next generation, to pass on the faith from one generation to the next as we do baby dedications up here, child dedications up here. The whole church comes together and says, you know what? I'm going to contribute in the discipling of your child from one generation to the next, knowing that kids have a tendency not to listen to their parents. I'm going to be a part of that process. I'm giving my life for the one another. So like we were made to contribute. This is why many of us have been grieving over the course of this past year. Like we weren't made for isolation. We were made to belong to one another. Like this is the repeated theme all throughout the New Testament. Uh, over and over and over again, it's the exact same thing. Like a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12, 10. Serve one another in love. Be patient and bear with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, when we come together and you sing your songs, it's not just about you. And we've experienced this thing where you come into a church and you've noticed this before. You come into a church and maybe you're just not feeling, that, feeling it that morning. right? You're not wanting to connect. You're kind of honestly surprised that we walked in this morning. 
And, and somehow in the middle of the singing, other people singing around you, God meets you in their song. God meets you in their faith. God meets you in their encouragement. And then all of a sudden, he just breathes life into you to bring you to a point where you're ready to receive from him. Church, we were made for one another. Like we were made to belong to one another. This is what he's saying here. This is why uh, many of us have been grieving forever. Like we were not made to live in isolation for the long haul. We were made to contribute in very specific and unique ways, kind of like the various members of a body, Paul says, each with different gifts to contribute for the long-term good of the body. And so I'm just wondering, church, are we losing the belonging element of who he's called us to be? I'm just concerned that the inside, outside, big C church in America today, have we forgot that he's brought us together and that there's a communal element to this gathering? And then every single one of us, man, woman, and child, have been gifted by God for the encouragement, for the building up of the entirety of the body of Christ. This is where he's going here in this text. In light of all 11 chapters of beautiful theology, this is who God is. This is what he's done on your behalf. Therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice. How? By recognizing your giftedness. By recognizing the fact that God spoke things into existence, made you in your mother's womb, created you with unique abilities and unique opportunities given by the Holy Spirit. And he did that for you to not just hang them up on a wall or anything like that, but to actually come in a community of believers, whether it's here at DBC, any other places, incredible, all other gatherings of worship all around the city, whether it's here or anything out there, but to come in to contribute and to help build up that body. This is the picture that he's giving us here in this text, that every single man, woman, and child is essential for the health of that body, and that it hurts when we take time away, when we leave, and when we do things ourselves. He continues, and he simply says, use the gifts that God has given to you to use. And this is where he starts getting specific about what some of these things can look like, and it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but here's what he says. He says, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service, then in our serving." The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, <clears throat> the one who leads with zeal, the one who <clears throat> does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And he just gets into this picture of kind of what, the, what the, the, this body can look like, what the different members, what the arms and the legs, he puts names and he puts definition to some of the unique ways that he's gifted you in this body. And he's brought us together again for our own mutual edification and for the glory of his name. And it's not an exhaustive list. Nevertheless, I want to go through some of these things. I want to define some of these things. And as we go through some of these names, I want you to think about where you might be today if the people in your life never put these gifts into practice around you. Because you, you're going to be sitting there and we're going to gravitate towards, okay, how has he uniquely wired me? And some of these things are going to be best discerned in the context of a community group or in the context of being known where people around you can come and say, hey, you know what this is? I see this gifting in your life. I'm able to speak into this. It's typically going to be at the intersection of what you're passionate about doing and what you're good at doing and what God has gifted you in these things. But it's going to be best discerned in that context. So we're going to be thinking, okay, here's what God maybe have, may have given me to do. But where would you be if the people around you growing up or even into adulthood, never put these gifts into practice. I mean, he says here, if you, if you had the gift of prophecy, 
He says, that, use it in proportion to our faith. He's, uh, this is what he says right here. This is the, the hardest one probably to nail down in this entire list. It's what he leads with right here. But very simply, when we're talking about New Testament prophecy, using our gifts of prophecy in the context of a church body today, what we're talking about is a spirit-directed proclamation of God's truth into a specific situation for the purpose of edification. This is what we're talking about right here. A spirit-directed proclamation of God's truth into a specific situation for the purpose of edification. Paul's going to talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's going to say this. He's going to say, uh, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's okay to look around at some of these things and say, I want this, I long for this. Father, if it be your will, would you give me this or bring me into an awareness of how you may have gifted me at this time? And he says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, but he says this, especially prophecy. And here's why, verse 3, because the one who prophesies, he says, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. He continues to say, anyone who speaks in a tongue, they edify themselves. But to the one who prophesies, they edify the church. So prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless there's interpretation. Why? Because the whole church is edified in this thing. But this is the point. It is a spirit-directed proclamation of God's truth into a specific situation for the purpose of edification. And sometimes it does come out in a form of preaching or something like that. And a lot of times it comes out in the form of one-on-one proclamation, again, of God's word, of God's truth, specifically into people's lives, into specific situations in which they live. And so this is the thing that's going to get sort of nerve-wracking a little bit in a lot of different ways. Uh, we see it abused. We see it um, done poorly online, self-professed prophets out there making all kinds of proclamations that don't come true. And it gets weary. And you sit there saying, okay, uh, okay, uh, we're saying, thus saith the Lord all the time. And you're going, I don't think that's what the Lord's saying. I think that's what you're saying. And you're bringing all the authority of God's word behind what you really wanted to say. We know the different dangers that are involved in this kind of a ministry, this kind of a gifting. Nevertheless, Paul's going to say, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's going to simply say, test these gifts. This is what he talks about. He says, don't quench the spirit. He says, don't treat prophecies with contempt either. But instead, test them all. In other words, we have the truth of God's word. They're never going to be outside of the confines of Scripture. They're never going to add or subtract. They're never going to deviate from the confines of Scripture here or anything. So when you hear this proclaimed in any context here, test them. Bring them in light of the truth of God's word and see if it's actually of God. He says, hold on to what is good and reject everything that's evil. In other words, what he's saying is not everything that people say is of the Lord is actually from the Lord. This is what he said, like, you need to test it in light of what you know to be true in God's word if it's actually of him. And so some people think that, okay, this is one of the gifts that may be done from the, from the, um, from the canonization of Scripture. This is one of the um, objections that oftentimes comes up. We do not believe that it's actually finished off in the New Testament. And the reason we don't believe that is for a number of different reasons biblically. But number one, Paul or Peter talks about this in Acts chapter 2. He says, in the last days... God is going to say, like, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Men and women will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. They will declare the truth of God's word into specific moments and into specific people's lives. Um, some people think, it, again, it ended. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is going to say that these gifts will continue until the time of completion comes. 
And he talks about this time of completion being this day that you and I see Jesus face to face. And he talks about this in this time of the, hey, uh, you will no longer know in part. You're going to know in full because Christ will have returned then. He will reign in, in power and in glory. And that time has not yet come. And so we do believe in the continuation of these gifts. Nevertheless, it does bring about some of the, different, some of the difficulties that are there. Does, is it messy? Yes, it's absolutely messy. Does prophecy ever get abused? Absolutely. Do people ever say things like, God told me this and it's really their opinion? Yes, it happens all the time. It's why we should test it and approach it humbly, knowing that God's word is certain. And my discernment of what he may be specifically saying right now is not as certain. Nevertheless, this is how the spirit works within our church to bring about edification and the building up of his body. Men and women, knowing the truth of God's word, declaring it specifically in personal levels and in corporate levels over here for the edification and for the building up of his church. I've told you this story a number of years ago when I've seen it come out a number of different times <clears throat> on a corporate level and then even in personal levels. But one of the personal times, um, this is a time that, um, excuse me, <clears throat> that I was just starting over here at DBC. And um, I'm sorry, I got a frog in my throat right here. Sorry, hold on one second. <clears throat> Thank you very much. That happens from time to time. Um, Sorry about that. This is a time that, um, <clears throat> okay, I think we got it, that one. Sorry about that. <laughs> I really apologize. That's terrible. Um, but five years ago, six years ago now, I'm coming into, um, <clears throat> I'm coming into Dallas, and, uh, and um, this is a, you know what, maybe I just need to skip that story. Um, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Um, no, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and share this one. I'm coming in, and I'm starting here at DBC, and it's just a time, uh, first-time senior pastor, terrified of coming into this job and a lot of the different fears that are involved, and I go to a prayer meeting in downtown with a lot of different ministry leaders and things like that. I had a friend that was coming and talking about biblical prophecy, and that wasn't really my background in a lot of different ways, and uh, he, uh, he brought me up in this group of people I'd never met before in my life. And he has me sit in this, on this table, and he says, hey, I want us to all come and, and pray for him right now. I want you to see if God gives you any word of encouragement to come and bring to him. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there. It's really, really awkward. I'm just going to say, like, I don't know anybody in this room. And I'm just sitting. He calls me to the front and just has me sit there. And people just start praying. It's just like 10 minutes. Just quietly, they're just praying to themselves. And all of a sudden, this girl stands up, and she says, you know what? I, I feel like God has given me a word. I don't know if there's anything behind it or not. But she simply says this. I saw this, vi I saw this picture. And I'm going, guys, this is not my world. I, this is the, the, the vision picture thing is not what I came from or anything like that. But she goes, I had this picture. You were in a weight room. You were wearing all black. And I was like, that is wrong. That is of the, not of the Lord, clearly. <laughs> I am not in the weight room a whole lot. But anyway, um, she's like, you were in the weight room. You were doing squats. And it was a light bar, light bar, and you were doing a lot of reps, going up and down and up and down and up and down. And all of a sudden, your spotter comes behind you and starts adding on weight to the bar. And it's a heck of a lot of weight. And the spotter comes behind you. <clears throat> and they come in and they help support the bar. And you never lost momentum. You kept going up and down. You kept going up and down. And you kept going up and down. And the more weight they kept putting on, the spotter helped you out along the time. And I just feel like God is coming and saying that you've been faithful for a long time with a little. He's about to add more to your plate. And that he's going to be with you every step of the way, helping you lift it over and over and over again. And she's like, does that even make sense to you? <clears throat> and I sat there, I was like, tomorrow I start a brand new job at a church that I feel way over my head in. 
and just wept. Like, I know you can't imagine that at all, but it's like, it's like, it's all I can say is in that moment, it's like very personal and it's very direct. And it's one of these moments where you sit there and you say, God saw me, God saw me in that time and gave me this specific word from his word. It was not adding, it wasn't different from or anything like that, but it was for the edification of the body. Church, where would we be if people didn't step out in faith in your small groups, in your community, around here at the church and say, you know what, I need to share with you this word that God has given to me about you. Like, where would we be if we didn't have that confidence to do that? And in humility to be able to do that, not thus saith the Lord, God saying this, repent, you're going to whatever it may be. Like, I, I, not any of this thing, but I feel like God is saying this into your life. Where would we be if we didn't step out on a limb and contribute like that? Like, where would we be without gifts of service? This is where he goes next. He says, in your service, then in your, uh, if service, then in your serving one another. Where would we be if not for people in our kids' ministry week after week after week saying, like, I don't need the front. I don't need all these different kinds of things because just give me a project and I'm in. I want to serve and I want to build and I want to contribute to the building of the body. Like, where would we be if not for the Trisha Mills who's here without fame, without name, without anything out there, day after day in our hallway, no one else around, organized the food pantry all the time in those shelves and making relationships with North Dallas Food Bank and serving our community around there when no one else sees what's going on. Where would we be without Gina doing that constantly throughout the week? Where would we be without Jana and Larry and Kelly who's up here all the time serving in a million different ways? People saying like, I don't need the spotlight. I don't need this over the, or that or the other. Like, I just want to come and I want to help. Where would the church be if not for people using gifts of service? Church, like, where would we be without teaching? People who are gifted in teaching, using a gift of teaching. In other words, this supernatural ability to come and take really complex realities and make it simple and digestible, things that we can grab onto uh, every single day. I'm thinking of Howard Hendricks, probably one, I think, one of the greatest teachers in the world. Uh, I'm thinking of my mom. I remember walking in my freshman year in college, surprising her one day at BSF. 18 years I knew she was a BS Bible Study Fellowship teaching leader. I never heard her teach. I sneak in at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning to come and hear my mom for the first time as an 18-year-old, and I'm floored by the fact that God has given her a gift to bring the Word of God to people in a way that they can understand it. Like, where will we be? Like what he's saying right here is it's not necessarily a natural gift. I've told you the story many times. A friend of mine over at DTS won the preaching award was not socially, this, I, I love engaging and I love talking to people, but I'm not kidding you. When the dude stood behind a pulpit, I wept in the ways that he was able to bring the word of God to life and help me to see God in a brand new, majestic, beautiful way that I never, I remember calling Kat and just be like, you will not believe what happened in class today. Where would we be if people sat on the sidelines saying, no, 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 that's somebody else's call. That's somebody else's, that's somebody else's task. Like, where would we be like some of you have that gift, and I, use, I was seeing Mary out here earlier, absolutely has that gift. Like where would we be if she never utilized that for the sake of the good of the body? Like where would we be without that thing? Where, where would we be without exhortation and people using this gift for the building up of the body? I'm thinking of your encouragement. Like all the time, just a gift. I mean, where would we be without Don Moody? And her constant notes writing to you guys about your kids and stuff. And just simply saying, hey, I want to cheer you on. You can keep going and going and going. Where would we be if people sat there on the sideline and said, you know what? I'm just going to leave it alone and a few other people will take care of it at some point in time. I'm thinking of the Julie Hesses who writes notes constantly 
encouraging you in college and encouraging you to keep pressing on over and over and over again. Tim McManus, unbelievable encourager. Like, where would we be if people sat on the sideline and said, you know what, I'm just going to consume and absorb and make this about me and whatever nugget I want to take today or anything? Like, where would this body be if people didn't utilize the gifts that God has called you to use? Where would we be without generosity? This is where he goes, the one who contributes in generosity. Church, where would we be if not for the generosity of this body? People, men and women, understanding that the finances that God has given to me are not just for my kingdom or for my purposes and not for my glory, but it's for his. I was talking with Brian a little while ago. He shared with me the story, and no names or anything like that, but he sat with somebody, and he said, you know what, there's an opportunity for this person to come on this mission trip who doesn't have the finances, and he was sitting with somebody in the, in, in the body about this, about this need that was risen, and the first thing that the guy says is, hey, say no more, it's taken care of. You gotta find, I, I'm there, I will support his trip. I will take it over, I, I'll take care of that thing. Like, where would we be if not for the generosity in this body? I'm thinking about this past year, like where would we be if people didn't rise up at the beginning of COVID in the middle of this pandemic and simply say, no, 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 I want to help all the families around us in this community that, 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 that lost their jobs, that aren't able to pay their bills. Can I just tell you, like our benevolence fund this past year has exploded because you guys are looking around saying, you know what, like praise God, maybe it wasn't my job. Maybe it wasn't my job that was killed this past year, but other people's it was, and I want to help supply their need. People were donating brand new furniture so that families around here who had nothing in their apartment could actually have a couch to sit on. Like, where would we be if you didn't rise up and say, no, 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 this isn't about my kingdom. This isn't about my fame. This isn't about my comfort. This isn't about my stuff. It's all for his praise and all for his glory. Where would we be if not for your generosity? Like, where would we be without people who are willing to lead with zeal and passion? These are people like, I was thinking of Kinder, I was thinking of Warren, and some different people around here today that rise up, people that have been given this gift that people say, I don't know what they're all about, but whatever they're doing, like, I want to go and do it. You have an enthusiast, like a, a contagious enthusiasm that people bring. Like, where would we be if people didn't rise up and lead within our church body? Where would we be without gifts of mercy? He talks about the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Where would we be without the people that can sit there in your pain and not move for an hour? Are you with me? Some of you are sitting there going like, I don't understand that at all. But there are people, there are some of you in this church that you know how to sit with people while they're crying and while they're pouring out their pain and their brokenness and weep with them. You know how to weep with those who weep without sitting there saying, hey, here's all the arguments about why you shouldn't be weeping right now. You have mercy Praise God for your investment in this body. I'm seeing all the people that are involved in the prayer, uh, the prayer cohort and even our uh, uh, freedom prayer ministry around here. You sit with people, and in the middle of their brokenness, you just weep with them. Jamie, you do that. This is your gift. And like, praise God for your, your heart of compassion for people that are seeing brokenness in the world, that is, that is lamenting in that. Like, where will we be? If we stayed on the sideline, church, this is the whole point of what Paul's saying. What he's saying is you're necessary in the body of Christ. All of your giftings, all of the unique ways that he's made you, it's essential that this body is healthy. It was never designed for isolation. It was never made to just take a consumeristic mentality to everything that we do. Like nothing about what we do is consumeristic. You get and you receive and then you pour it back out for the praise of his name. 
Where would we be if we didn't get that? I praise God for the generosity of people in our church body that are sitting here going, I know because I know because I know God has given me things to come and be distributed and shared. All for the praise of for the glory of his name. All Paul is saying, the most simple message in the world is that if he has given you gifts, which he has, they're meant to be used. They're meant to be used. And that every single one of us, man, woman, and child, are essential for the health of this body. We know what it's like when one of our members goes our own way, does our own thing, and what he's saying, like, there, there's a glory, there's a beauty. Like, there, there, there's a, the way that the, that the watching world can see who Jesus is when we come together and we function together as one body. I'm going to share a fun story with you before we wrap up here. The last few weeks ago at uh, our Go and Be service day, we had a Sunday morning where we just sent you guys into the community to go and to share and to, to love our community. We had a giveaway out there in the youth building. We had an outreach project. We had assembling of homeless outreach bags. We had assembling of manna food projects with Feed My Starving Children. But it was a mobilization effort getting out in the community. And uh, it was an incredible day. We shared the video and we had a friend that came in. It was the first time that I met him. He came and he did the video for uh, our church that day. I just met him that morning and we were connected through a mutual friend. And he came in and didn't really know what he was getting into. And we just walked around from project to project to project just capturing the body of Christ in action, engaging our community, serving and doing everything there. And we spent about the first hour on this campus going around, interviewing people and kind of capturing some of these pictures and everything. And, and it was incredible. We get back into the car and we're driving over to East Richardson to go over to feed my starving children. And he goes, hey man, can I just stop you for a second? He's a pastor out in Oak Cliff, by the way, uh, doing online church because their church wasn't able to gather at the time or anything. And so he was able to be here on a Sunday morning. But he goes, I just got to call my wife. And I was like, yeah, man, go, go for it. He calls his wife, gets her on the phone, and says, babe, you won't believe what I'm doing right now. This whole church, people out there in the community, engaging with neighbors, praying with neighbors. Like people brought trucks. They're filling up their trucks. They're delivering it into people's new apartments. Like they're helping people out. They're going and making food. Like she starts describing this whole thing. He's like, you won't believe what's going on out here. And then he hits it on speaker, and he puts it right there. And you just hear her take her breath away. She simply just says, that is how the church is supposed to be. And he just hangs up right there, and he says, this is what the church is supposed to be like. Church, like that is what the church is supposed to be. It's people with gifts of administration, using gifts of administration to pull off different things. It's people with gifts of service and helps. It's the it's the evangelists that are going out there that are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the people that are coming and that are sitting with people and listening to their stories over and over again. It's all these different people coming together for the praise and for the glory of his name. Church, where would we be if we just sat on the sidelines and did not understand what God was trying to do in this fellowship that we call the church? We need people to say yes. We need people to come in and to recognize this thing and to say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and to lead us in worship one more time here in just a moment. I want to pray for us, and we've included response cards on your chair right there, and I'm going to put a list of different things that are up there. My hope and my prayer is that God may have shown you something unique about how he's wired you, that you would simply say yes to what God is calling you to come and to be a part of the body here at the church. We're going to come and we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come and just reflect on this for a little bit 
And that response card is just for an opportunity. You can fill out name, info, or anything like that. If there's an area that you put up there, that anything that jumps out to you, we'll have ministers follow up with you this week. We want to give you opportunity to come and to use your gifts for the building and for the edification of the body. The band will sing over you for a minute, and then you'll be invited to come and sing together. But Father, we do love you. We praise you, God. We worship you today. God, we thank you for the ways that you've uniquely wired every man, woman, and child in this room to be used by you for your praise and for your glory. God, I pray that we would rise up, Father. I pray that we would see what you want to do. God, I pray that we would think well about ourselves, not too high, not too low. In light of the gospel, in light of a God who came in the middle of our wandering, came to lay down his life for our flourishing, may we go and do the same, lay down our lives as living sacrifices for this body, for our community, all for your praise and for your glory. God, we love you. We praise you. We invite you to speak. We invite you to move. In Jesus' name, amen.